Well, how many of you enjoy waiting? See hands going up all over the sanctuary. Waiting uh, for the light to turn. Uh, waiting at the grocery store. That's been fun the last week or so, hasn't it? Waiting at the doctor's office, maybe the one that I dislike uh, the most. And, of course, the kids right now waiting until Christmas Day. Imagine how hard that is for them. I have serious issues around waiting. Uh, just ask my family. Uh, when Melinda and I are getting ready to go someplace, guess where you will find me about 10 minutes before? In the car. Patiently drumming on the steering wheel. When is she going to get here? I think in 43 years of marriage, she has never beat me out to the car yet. Not once. But Advent is a season of waiting, isn't it? We are in that in-between time. The first Advent when he came as a baby in the manger and his second Advent when he shall return to bring in his reign of peace and righteousness. And this year during Advent we've been using Charles Wesley's great Advent carol, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, to help us understand why Jesus came in the first place. Today we are focusing on the verse Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art. Now, what does that even mean? I don't know about you, but when I think of the word consolation, I think of a prize that is given to somebody who's lost, <laughs> you know, so they don't feel so bad about coming in second place. Now, that would certainly describe the nation of Israel during the, prophet, the time of the prophet Isaiah. A uh, civil war had split the kingdom into the northern tribes and the southern tribes. Assyria had then invaded the northern kingdom and taken them all away captive. And then they came back to threaten the southern kingdom. Judah's only help was to find military assistance from Egypt to the south. But they found themselves simply caught in the middle between these two empires, Egypt and Assyria. But beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah, there is suddenly this, this big shift in attitude. So big that some Bible scholars doubt that they could have been written by the same person. And in chapters 40 and following, Isaiah proclaims the coming of a Messiah who would bring hope and restoration. It begins this way. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. And then he prophetically announces the coming of one whose voice is in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And of course, the early church understood that as the voice of John the Baptist. And so in one of the darkest periods of their history, to a people who had lost almost everything, God was promising comfort, consolation, and hope. What is hope? When we use that word, we usually define it as a feeling about something that is wanted. There's this element of uncertainty. It's a, it's a wish or a desire with the expectation of fulfillment. 
We hope this virus will come to an end soon. Uh, we hope that our economy will rebound. Uh, we hope that next year the Bengals will have a better season. But the Bible doesn't use the word that way. It's used as a noun or as a verb. Hope is the anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promise. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the words hopeful or hopefully. They're not there. And the reason is that hope in the Bible is actually a reality. You may not be able to see it, and you may not be able to touch it, but because God is faithful and because God never breaks his promises, it will happen. And so hope in the Bible is God-grounded. It is God-sustained. It is God-directed. God is the God of hope. And so hope is waiting with this expectation the problem for most of us is the waiting part. It's hard, and it usually doesn't meet our expectations. We feel like life should turn out a certain way, but oftentimes it doesn't turn out that way. Even our expectations don't always turn out the way we hoped. I mean, family members' plans change, or we didn't get the present we had hoped for, or worse, uh, a relationship is broken, or a job is lost. Israel struggled with waiting as well. You see, as, as far back as, as Moses, God had made a promise of a coming Messiah. God had promised Moses in Deuteronomy 18 that he would raise up a great prophet. God promised King David that he would raise up a son who would sit on the throne forever. God promised Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be called Emmanuel. God promised Micah that this Messiah would be born in the city of David in, in Bethlehem. So for hundreds of years, the prophets had predicted the coming of, of the Messiah King who would usher in this, this reign of peace and, and put all things right again. And yet, despite all these promises, they never came true. They did not happen. And there was no consolation. So how do you deal with the waiting? How do we deal with the difference between our, our expectation and reality? Between how things are and how we hoped that they would be? How do we learn the discipline of waiting on God? Well, we can look at this little known figure named Simeon. We talked about him just last October, but let's hear his story again. We find it in Luke's Gospel Chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. What Luke is saying here is that Mary and Joseph fulfilled the Jewish law. They followed all the Jewish rules and regulations around the birth of that firstborn son. Luke is very intentional in saying that, that Mary and Joseph, they are practicing Jews who who love God and follow the law. 
So here they are in, in the temple in Jerusalem. They are in the midst of a crowd of, of other good Jewish people when they are approached by a man named Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So all that we know about this character, Simeon, is, is what's written right here. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's waiting. In fact, he has been waiting a long time for something that has been promised to him by God. And the promise was that he would not die until he set his eyes on the Messiah. And so he waited. And he waited. And he waited. For most of his life, he waits. And now he's an old man. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I could wait a lifetime for that kind of expectation. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you, want be, believe, wouldn't you be tempted to give up, to, to believe the Holy Spirit hadn't spoken to you, that it simply been your, your overactive imagination? But not Simeon. Simeon has taken and kept this posture of waiting all through the years, and he's not become jaded. He's not become cynical with all the waiting. He hasn't become this old curmudgeon. He hasn't thrown up his, his hands in disgust and, and walked away from God. Simeon has kept this posture of, of active waiting, even as the years rolled on, without so much as a glimmer of hope. But he keeps looking. He kept trusting that God would bring it about in his own time. He, he kept praying for God to help him to hold on and to wait. He kept following God in obedience without trying to make deals with God to, to make it happen more quickly. He, he kept going to the temple day after day and scanning the crowds for this child come from God, asking him, God, is, is that the one? Maybe this one over here, God. Who, where is he, God? All of that is why we even know that Simeon, who he is, and, and how we run into him here in this story. Simeon has, has taken this active stance of waiting on God to deliver his promise. Waiting is hard. I, I used to have a Shetland sheepdog uh, named Cody. And whenever we sat down to eat, uh, he, would, he would always come and take his place under the table. You have a dog like that? And he, of course, he always sat closest to the children because he knew that food was more likely to fall from the table under where they sat. He was always the perfect gentleman. He would be there watching and waiting patiently for his bit of food. He didn't, he didn't quit once we walked away. He didn't sulk if he didn't get anything. He didn't bark. He didn't beg. He didn't, he didn't bite or annoy. He, he did drool. He drooled a lot, and I don't think that was his fault. I mean, it would, it would just pour out the sides of his mouth as he waited. And he would sit there, and he would look at, at me with those big brown dog eyes, waiting for food to come his way. And of course, it almost always did. I think maybe that, that little dog exemplifies what it means for us as the people of God to wait. See, Simeon shows us what it is to wait hopefully in God, that in the midst of our unmet expectations, waiting with hope means not getting bitter. 
means not walking away, demanding results from God. I think waiting well is that active stance towards life and towards God, even in the midst of our heartache. It's intentionally trusting. It's prayerfully dependent. And it's obedient to God. It is watching and it is scanning for God to bring about his promise. So with that certain something that you're waiting for right now that's causing you heartache, would you wait well for it? Not give up, not become jaded, not become bitter because God loves you and he knows exactly what you need. Can we learn in our waiting to trust to pray, to obey God until he brings resolution? Can we intentionally take that kind of an active posture of waiting on his promise? But what does it take to to wait that way on God, even with our heartache and with our angst? What do we need to realize about God that will enable us to wait this way? Well, look what happens when Simeon actually lays his eyes on the Holy Family. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, ah, there it is, listen again, as you have promised May you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You see, Simeon got what he was waiting for. Somehow in that that mass of Jewish humanity in the, the temple, Simeon locks eyes on that child. And then the Holy Spirit leaps up within him and says, there he is, Simeon. There he is. And Simeon dashes over to to Joseph and Mary, and he pulls Jesus right out of their arms. Now, as if having a stranger take your baby from you isn't disturbing enough, he begins to, to sing this song over the baby as he shares his relief of his waiting. It's called the the, the nunc dimittius, and it means now depart in Latin, which is the very first line of Simeon's song. And he sings over this child who is God's salvation and rescue in the sight of everyone there in the temple. This child, he sings, is light come from God to illumine the way for all people to come to God and showcase Israel as his people of origin. The promise is so much better than what Simeon expected. It is so much more than just hope for one little nation, Israel. It is for the hope of the world. It is hope for you, and it's hope for me. Well, with Simeon's waiting over, now that he laid eyes on Jesus, I think uh, at one level, Simeon's waiting is over because he's seen Jesus whom God had promised to show him as his consolation. But why was he waiting for that? I think because at a deeper and and more fundamental level, Simeon was waiting for God to actually console and to eradicate the heartache 
that he had between how he felt things should be and what he was actually experiencing. You see, Simeon was waiting for God to actually, actually to rescue and to console him through the birth of this child. Simeon has seen in the baby Jesus God's plan for salvation. And he knew at that moment that God was going to make everything right. Everything that had gone wrong since Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden from all of our sin and from all the world's evil. When Charles Wesley wrote this hymn in the 18th century, England was a mess. It was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and it was causing major cultural disruptions. Uh, new machines were being invented that saved time and created great wealth. But it also was causing unemployment and, and a large gap between the rich and the poor. Cities began to, to grow rapidly as farm workers moved to the city looking for jobs in factories or in the coal mines. And they be quickly became overcrowded and dirty and noisy places. There was really no public education to speak of. In fact, half of the children died before they reached the age of two. And the churches became complacent and comfortable and dead. Bishops were appointed not for their deep spirituality, but because of their political connections. And those Christians who took their faith seriously were labeled as an enthusiast were considered dangerous in the church. And guess who was called an enthusiast? The people called Methodists, John and Charles Wesley, simply for taking their faith seriously because they saw the suffering of their nation and they decided to do something. They decided the church needed to share the consolation and the hope that they themselves had experienced uh, in Christ. And it changed the nation. You see, that's what Christ coming at Christmas does. It lets us know that our, that our suffering and our hardship has an expiration date. So we can hold out for God to fully resolve our waiting. That is the hope from Jesus Christ that comes at Christmas. And so you and I, we can take hope that, that Christ came at Christmas so that we can have a, a personal relationship with him. We can find hope that, that God will be with us in our waiting to completely resolve those things that we're waiting upon Him to resolve. We can hope in Him because He is the hope of the nations. Before we close, I, I wanna, want you to see one more thing in this passage. Simeon then gives this prophetic word to Mary and Joseph. We find it in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So right after Simeon sings the song about Jesus, Mary and Joseph are, I mean, they're simply stunned. 
because a complete stranger has, has prophesied over their son and told them what's going to happen in the future. And they must have thought to themselves, well, how, how in the world could, could anybody know that unless God had revealed that to them? And so the Bible says they marveled at his words, which may be why this, this stuck in their memory and, and why it made it into Luke's uh, account of Jesus' life. But then, then the other shoe drops. Simeon gives them new information that they hadn't known before, that the angel had failed to be clear about. Simeon says that their baby boy, Jesus, will become a point of contention, not universally accepted, and that it would cut Mary to the very quick of her soul like a sword plunged into her heart. And because uh, she is his mother, she would be powerless to do anything about it except to watch it unfold. So Simeon is saying that Jesus would become a litmus test for people before God, that people would either, either accept him or they would reject him based upon how they respond to Christ, either in faith or in rejection. Their true colors with God will be made visible, that some will rise with him and some will fall away because of him. You see, what Simeon is alluding to here is the cross that Jesus would bear in the future. Even at his birth, his destiny is clear. So what will we do with this? Will we embrace this baby as our Savior and Lord? Will we trust his promise to strengthen and, and comfort and restore us as people? Or will we trust in ourselves to do it on our own? Will we try to keep hoping in something that will ultimately fail us? See, I know a lot of us today carry some heartache. The things that you had hoped for have not turned out the way that you thought they would. And you've been waiting for something to change in your life, and, and it hasn't. And you struggle. Did you know that John the Baptist struggled as well? That great saint of God, when, when he sat in Herod's prison, he wondered, did I make a mistake? Is, is Jesus really the Messiah? And so he sends a, a note back to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or, or should we look for somebody else? All those years and yet still John was having some doubts. You see Jesus wasn't the image of a coming king that John had imagined. And I confess it's hard sometimes for me to be hopeful. But more than anything else this Christmas... I want to renew my hope and trust in God again. And so I'm making a decision to, to allow God some, some room this Christmas to begin working in my life in a supernatural way. I'm going to look for hope. I'm going to expect hope. I'm going to receive hope into my life because we're called to be hope-filled people. The King is coming, my friends. And that's good news that we need to share with our world. Our consolation has arrived. His name is Jesus, and he is the only answer to your hopes and to your dreams. Embrace him, will you? Invite him into your life. Allow him to forgive you and to guide you. Rest your heart in him because he died for you so that you can find freedom from guilt and healing for your broken heart. Because, my friends, that resolution only comes through the cross. 
the babe of Bethlehem has born a cross for you. And he rose again to heal our hearts once and forever. Let's pray. Well, God, by the birth of your son, Jesus, you gave us a great light to dawn upon our darkness. And so give us this Christmas the gift of faith in your son so that we might have the ever-brightening hope and the comfort of knowing you, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.